0: Yo, 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 welcome back to the podcast, guys. Thank you for joining us. This is the Prayerfully Woke podcast. It's your co host, Walker, here. You are listening to season number three, episode number seven. That's right, seven, the biblical number of completion. Um, And that is fitting because today's episode is an absolute beast of an episode. We have on the podcast Dr. Cheryl Bridges. Johns. Uh, Dr. Johns is the real deal. She's a preacher, a teacher, an author, a professor at Pentecostal Theological Seminary in Cleveland, Tennessee, and her latest accomplishment is being a guest on Prayerfully Woke. In this podcast, she absolutely blows our minds as we talk about everything relating to Pentecost and Pentecostal spirituality. So um, buckle up for the ride. Get ready to go as we listen to this podcast interview with Dr. Cheryl Bridges Johns.
1: At Pentecost, the whole cosmos comes out of the darkness. We are the new creation. We are the the filled cosmos, and we are the signs of that which shall be. Pentecost is the flourishing of creation, um, the reclaiming of everything. It's a pretty cosmic event so that it is the harvest of the earth and the cosmos back into To be filled with the Spirit is to be eschatologically a sign of the end where all things
2: will be filled. Yo, this is Walker McCowan, and I'm Jonathan Garlock, and we are Prayerfully Woke.
0: All right. Well, Cheryl, we are glad to have you on the podcast today. I actually should say, Dr. Cheryl Bridges Johns, how are you doing?
1: I'm doing very well and grateful that you and Jonathan asked me to be on this podcast
2: with you. Oh, well, we're blessed to have you, and uh, your voice is is powerful, and you're a deep thinker, and you've done a lot, uh, not just um, for women in particular in your ministry, but you've also spoken over the church and done some great work. And uh, we're coming up on Pentecost Sunday. Uh, oh, yeah. And- and you are a Pentecostal. And so right. we wanted to to get into discussion about Pentecost, uh, what it was uh, some two thousand years ago, and how mm-hmm. it's evolved and what it is now. Um, but first, uh, do you mind giving us a, a short introduction uh, about yourself, where you are now?
1: Yeah. Um, I live in Cleveland, Tennessee, on a little farm with my husband, and we have two daughters and five grandchildren. I have taught at the Pentecostal Theological Seminary for 33 years. And this spring, I'm getting ready to sneeze, so excuse me. This spring, I um, went to what they call senior faculty, which means I just teach one course a semester in order to focus on some more writing I needed to get done and playing with my grandchildren. So I'm semi-retired at the point right now and enjoying that.
0: Mm. Amen. That sounds, sounds like a great time. Um, so, Dr. Cheryl Burgess-Johns, we wanted to ask you first off, so obviously we're gonna, we want to have this conversation about Pentecostalism and what all that is, uh, but to some of the listeners out there who maybe um, are in the tradition or haven't grown up in the tradition um, like us in this conversation, uh, we just wanted you to start off with, and could you give us a working definition of what Pentecostalism is and maybe also what it is not? Because I think people have some crazy ideas out there.
1: Yeah, and then maybe I could talk about what Pentecost is. But Pentecost yes, is the name that goes for, oh goodness, is it about a billion or so people in the world today in terms of the numbers? And it, I think one out of every 12 people on the planet is Pentecostal charismatic in some form whether you're a Lutheran in uh, Ethiopia you most likely if you're a Lutheran in e- Ethiopia you're a Pentecostal Lutheran in Ethiopia mm. uh, so are Roman Catholic in Brazil are so it. it is becoming a very large umbrella but the basic terms that I kind of go with on it is it's the belief in the ongoing grace of the Spirit in the Church through the charismata. So, you know, we would disagree with the fundamentalist and who would say that, um, you know, the dispensation of the gifts died with the apostles. We would say, no, the Book of Acts is very much like the Church should be today. and. Mm-hmm. You know, we believe in tongues as a sign for the, for the, uh, what we call the baptism of the Spirit, but we are not all about tongues for the most part. So the main thing is just the work of the Spirit in an overt, not just a subtle way in the life of the church. So you have the charisms of the gifts, you know, that would be fun functioning in the church and teaching and preaching as part of that, but also tongues and prophecy and all of those things that scare people sometimes.
0: <laughs> yeah. The craziness.
1: Mm-hmm. We got that. We, we attract crazies. We have so many of them, but you know, I always like to say it's okay because, uh, I would rather have the crazies and the, life that I've known in the Pentecostal tradition than walling out the crazies and not having that life. So
2: mm.
1: we kinda of have ways sometimes of dealing with them. I think we should deal with them more <laughs> in the last few years. I think especially some of what we call the so called prophets of this time. But and they, you know, you get a bad you get a bad reputation in the extremes of our movement. A well deserved
2: bad reputation. Mm. So, so a nutshell definition might be that Pentecostalism uh, believes that we, I'll say that, we are an extension or a continuance of what God was doing in the book of Acts. Mm-hmm. Um, we did a study in the book of Acts at my church a few years back, and it's amazing to me how open-ended the book of Acts is. it It's almost like it doesn't end. It's a weird ending because, and I think Luke maybe did that in, on purpose, as being inspired by the Spirit, to let us know that we are continuing in that work. Would you agree with that?
1: I would, and so then that ties to the definition of Pentecost for me, um, that the the Pentecost is the uh, in the Orthodox tradition, the great high feast, mm. and that it is closely tied to Easter in a way that Easter resurrection is part one, Pentecost is part two. Mm. The Protestants and more Roman Catholic sides of things have made Easter more of the um, climatic, and sort of the issue about Pentecost is being sidelined, but I like the Orthodox understanding that when the Spirit is poured out, then the mission of Christ was fulfilled. And that you cannot separate that from the life, death, resurrection of Christ's ascension and pouring out the spirit. And we Mm -hmm. usually stop at the ascension, don't we? So it is, um, I think, the great, the church's great high feast. And if you look at, you know, the roots of it being in the harvest festival there, uh, the Feast of Weeks and that celebrated the giving of the law at Sinai as well as it was a gathering in of the harvest. So you get Pentecost for me is the, well, the two liturgical colors, red and green. Red is the Sinai where the spirit is poured out and there is what we use as imagery of fire there and uh, the the law being written in hearts by the spirit. The green is uh, the again in the eastern churches, they decorate their church with greenery and it's a very green festival. We move into, uh, Pentecost moves toward the liturgical color of green, ordinary time. So Pentecost and ordinary time aren't, you know, they blend. But The green color is that Pentecost is the flourishing of creation, Mm. um, the reclaiming of everything. It's a pretty cosmic event so that it is the harvest of the earth and the cosmos back into um, God. So to be filled with the spirit is to be eschatologically a sign of the end where all things will be filled. And the material bodies that we have being filled is a sign of the cosmos as a material being filled. And so, you know, we're eschatologically witnessing of God's reclaiming of everything and the restoration. So the icon of Pentecost, I love that icon where, you know, you have the disciples around and they are outside of a circle. And then inside that is a dark kind of centerpiece and coming out of the dark is this figure of uh, King Cosmos and he's faded and worn but still beautiful and he has the teachings of the twelve there in these little scrolls but the imagery there is that at Pentecost the whole cosmos comes out of the darkness I just could wow. shout that's just yeah. isn't that wonderful
0: uh, so, yes <laughs> that is uh, Dr. <laughs> yeah. Johns that's that is that is greater news than you have i ever heard at a pentecostal camp meeting
1: yeah i mean you know that can preach that it's the you know climbing every nook and cranny of the cosmos and Mm -hmm. and the cosmos is beautiful but very tarnished and very marred and therefore this harvest festival the flourishing the verdant creation the new creation you know it's the first birth. It's the rebirthing of this new creation that Christ is the first resurrection of.
2: So you just, you, you, the first 10 minutes, you've just blown my mind. You know, 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 I I got to go. I got to say something. (laughs) So when Jesus says, you will receive power to be my witnesses, Mm
0: -hmm. he's
2: not say, he's not even talking about something we will say. He's saying we are the witness of new creation. That's that it. our our being is when the spirit comes upon us. It's not a Romans road. It's not pray this Q T thirty second prayer. We are embodied witnesses that Jesus is alive and the gospel is true.
1: Yeah, yeah. And, and you know, we are the we are the new creation. We are the the filled cosmos, and we are the signs of that which shall be. And, in that sense we I like how you did that because I hear a lot of people well, I've just had some people recently come back at me with this and saying the whole thing is we're gonna have we're we're have power to witness well, yeah, but as you were saying, what kind of witness, yeah, you know we are witness of the end,
2: huh.
1: and therefore. It's more than the Roman road. It's more than souls. It's not a Gnostic thing, is it? It's a very earthy cosmic thing. So we're not here just to witness on a Roman road to say little souls that are deposited in bodies. We're a sign and a witness of God's reclaiming every square inch and everything, all the
2: cosmic dust that's out there. Well, thanks for joining us, everybody. That's it. Drop the mic. <laughs> All right. <laughs> uh, gosh,
0: that, that, this is amazing. Uh, so what's process, processing through my head right now as we're talking about this is I've heard you talk before a little bit about um, the gifts of the Holy Spirit. And, and how, you know, correct me if I'm wrong, but how the giftings of the Holy Spirit, especially healing um, – and prophecy and all these things are are the the eschaton are the end the re, the redemption of all things kind of bursting forth into the present moment like, like as if to say like um god's future is bursting into our present is,
1: mm-hmm.
0: is that mm-hmm. correct yeah
1: yeah
2: that's a good way of saying it hmm. so why do you think it is then and and, and i i guess i just have to clarify it by saying my experience is that Pentecostal circles I grew up in had way more emphasis on gifts of the Spirit than the fruit of the Spirit. I heard all kinds of messages about what the Holy Spirit would do through you as far as jump, shout, speak in tongues, interpretation of tongues, prophesy, all those things. But love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control uh, were a good VBS lesson, but never never could really make it into the teachings on the Holy Spirit.
1: Yeah, that's been a very awful flaw in our theology, and I believe it's part of this Gnosticism in some ways, too. Uh, it, let me say it this way. It's a non-organic view of of the role of the Spirit so that you kind of have this, gifts that are kind of like coming coming down on you you know this intervention kind of uh, rather than in the Johannan imagery and you've got to merge the pneumatology of john with the pneumatology of luke acts here otherwise it's just not going to work so you've got to have this organic um vine branches uh, Christ's life, the life of the new, the new life of the kingdom. Again, back to what we're saying about being witnesses. The power to live in love, joy, peace, long suffering, and honestly, guys, right now that's where my struggle is, and this is where I'm praying. I've seen my, I think the COVID nineteen is revealing that I need to, um, time to abide more, get attached mm-hmm. more that I am not uh, giving out the fruit of patience and forbearance and love and joy. You know, joy is not happiness, but living in the depths of God's joy is a privilege and honor. And so we, we Pentecostals have not borne witness enough, have not experienced that, therefore, we have become like the church at Corinth, just kind of proud, puffed up, full of a lot of maybe so-called gifts, but
2: not bearing the fruit. Well, and isn't that what – and I'm, I'm sorry, Walker. No. I'll, I'll, I'll be quiet after this, maybe. Uh, but isn't that what Paul's talking about in the love chapter? He talks about some of what we would call the gifts of the Spirit, and he also mentions martyrdom, bodies to be burned. Mm-hmm. But if we don't have love, if we don't have that fruit, then the the axe, the jumping over the pew, the swinging from the chandeliers means nothing, right?
1: Yeah. And so to be filled with the Spirit is, in the words of the early Pentecostals of the 20th century, like William Seymour and others, was to be baptized in love, mm-hmm. and it was um, love then is. It is a very powerful, the strongest force on the, it in the, in the universe. and it flows out of the trying life and covers us. And, and we are not flowing with that love, in that love. and therefore we are not cooperating with God's redemption by that.
0: I love it. I love it. I I think it's amazing how so many of these things that we're talking about it, it, they're agrarian metaphors. Uh just in scripture you see that everywhere. You see that everywhere and mm-hmm. and even when you just walk outside you you know all of creation bears witness to this god in which we live and move and have our being and, and so it's just it's everything you're saying, you know, to abide in him, to abide, to to recognize that our very life force comes from him. I think that truly is, you know, Part of what it means to be Pentecostal is to be aware of of the Holy Spirit, that which is already calling your name, already calling you to redemption, already calling you to, to be who you were always created to be. Uh, mm-hmm. I, I love all of that. It's we abide in him, that, that kind of agrarian metaphor, all of it. I don't know. That was my really question, but everything you're saying is resounding heavily with me.
1: Yeah, and the agrarian metaphor we miss in Acts because a lot of Pentecostals do Acts to 28, you know, in the last days I will pour out my spirit and that, that was carried over, you know, from Joel to Acts. And I preached on this this past summer at the Eastern Mennonite, uh, at the annual meeting of the Prairie Conference of Mennonites, uh, Mennonite Church USA. And I was preaching to farmers. I was in the middle of farm country in Eastern Iowa, not too far. God's country. Mm-hmm. Oh my goodness, it was beautiful, but I, you know, I, I preached on one, the, your Pentecost, our Pentecost is too small, way too small, and we miss in that smallness the agrarian parts, like you can't, when when God begins, you know, the lament that Joel, the book of Joel opens with, there had been the the... Uh, devastating plagues when one is it 's kind of like two thousand and twenty you know like well when one is over, then here come the murder hornets, and then here come this, and then you 're just <laughs> like it's it was life like that, you know one thing after another, and the land was was mourning, everything was dried up and hopeless and languishing, and then God begins to speak, but god doesn 't speak to humans first, God begins to speak to the land, and tells the land to read, and then to the animals, you know, and then God speaks to the humans. But that restoration and that, you know, the Spirit being poured out from on high, as Isaiah said, and fertile field becoming a forest, and so, I don't know how people read the Bible without seeing the connections to the earth and the land. Well, I do know because we don't read in connections. We just read with uh, selective. We don't read the book of Joel. We read the little chapter there, right? We don't see where everything is connected there. Um, So for me, Pentecost is very much like what you see when God begins to speak in Joel. Let me give hope to the land and to the animals and... Uh, you know, this whole time of COVID-19, I say a lot, the earth is taking its rest that we have refused to give it. We have refused to give the earth any Sabbath. Can you imagine what we've done? 24-7, we haven't stopped. There's been no Sabbath. Not for the land, not for humans, not for the planet. And that means disaster.
0: Yeah. I, you know, I love how you are militantly opposed to all forms of gnosticism. That, that <laughs> Me too. I love that. I love that because I feel like that's a common that's a common thread throughout all the people we've had on the podcast. But mm-hmm. um, it's it really is something that it's not just it's it really is toxic when it comes down to it. Because if if it's oh. all about I'll fly away, then this earth doesn't matter, and what God is trying to do, uh, we see it as disembodied, not earthly and not, you know, material, but the son of, son of God became material, became flesh.
1: Yeah. And I think, you know, our modern world has allowed us to live away from the earth. So we don't have to care because we're not really understanding how we are connected as much. And then somebody told me once, you know, well, God said that we are to, that his kingdom was not of this er world and that we're not to love the world, and I said, but that's not the word, world, the world is the cosmos, the powers of the world, even, every, Mm -hmm. you know, like, but God loves the earth.
0: Yes, yes.
1: The powers of the world are one thing, they will be destroyed and all, but the earth, you know, Mm -hmm. Revelation 11, the angel says, woe, you have come to destroy those who destroy the earth, I've never heard a sermon on that.
0: Mm -hmm.
2: This is all such good stuff, and I'm looking down at our stupid questions that we outlined for you, and don't <laughs> want to ask you any of them. Uh, but, but I'm going to ask you one, anyways. Um, so, what what is the difference uh, when in talking about the Holy Spirit? When in the Old Testament, we'll see the Spirit come upon a person, and they'll do a great act for God. You know, mm-hmm. David and Goliath, uh, that mm-hmm. I don't know, Moses when he's leading the children of Israel out. What's the difference between that Old tes- Testament Spirit moving? and what we are offered um, uh, in the New Covenant through Christ uh, from the day of Pentecost?
1: I think the word is stayed. The Spirit has come and stayed. Okay. And Jesus said before he left to be with the Father, he said to the disciples, you know, I'll send you the Spirit. And then he makes this great promise that, uh, you know, the life that we have, uh, this triune life, We will come and make our home with you, and our life will be your life. So that making the home, to me, is the critical difference, is the not just the temporariness of this, but the permanent abode of it.
2: That's That's good. So can we tie that into the baptism, the, the water baptism of Jesus? When the spirit comes descending as a dove and remains on him. I've always found that significant in looking at that story.
1: Yeah, I think that's very
2: significant.
1: Hmm. The remaining.
2: Hey, my friends, we want to take a moment in the middle of this podcast to say thank you to all those of you who have subscribed on the Patreon platform. We're so grateful that you believe in the work that we're doing here at Prayerfully Woke, and we cannot thank you enough for your support. If you're listening and you're interested in supporting us financially, you want to be part of this Prayerfully Woke movement, you can check out the descriptions below for a link to find out how. Thanks. Now back to the episode.
0: I love it. So... In modern, the modern world, we have this tendency because of secularization, the enlightenment, the world, the way in which we look at the world is so, um, you could say, disenchanted. It is so, um, we, we look at the world through secular eyes, and, and so much of that has seeped into Christian faith, has seeped into to Christianity around. How does Pentecost or just being Pentecostal, being Spirit-led, how does that lead to you like having a reenchantment of the world, to seeing the world with re-enchanted eyes, to seeing the world with God's fingerprints all over it?
1: Yeah. My husband uh, did a really good article on the Pentecostal worldview and the postmodern worldview, and he said that um, Pentecostals see the world in which the Spirit is, impre- is present and at any moment can be seen in the world. So you can have an encounter with the spirit of God uh, in at any moment, at any time, in any place. Pantheism is sort of this older view of that there were many gods, and these gods resided in objects like trees and moons, and rivers, and forests, and but when we did away with um, enchantment, you're, you know, a few hundred years ago, pantheism, we've got to deconstruct, there's a project that I, I'm familiar with, a, a University of Chicago professors working on deconstructing modern notions of pantheism, and what she's trying to do is say the modern notions of pantheism just took everything out of any, you know, you have the the natural world, there is no sense of supernatural. So we don't want pantheism, but we want to re-enchant the world with the supernatural so that there is a radiating of the world uh, an imbibed presence of the spirit of God in and all of, all of things. And, you know, like the book that Alistair McGrath wrote years ago, re the World, he got so close, but as an evangelical, he stopped. You know, it's this signed artifact. It's like, that's how B.B. Warfield and Hodge and all the fundamentalists and evangelicals see that the Bible is the signed artifact, perfect, inerrant, And and the role of the Spirit is to illuminate, right? And so, this is how McGrath is seeing creation, is that God's handwork or His autograph is all over it. And I just, when I was reading that a while back, I was going, no, you're missing it. It's not a signed autograph. It is God's presence and Spirit never left Mm -hmm. after creation. I mean, that's what holds it all together. And that's where, you know, the thin places are everywhere, and and we just miss those thin. Children um, are more open to those portals and see and hear, but we have a way of shutting down the, the, that capacity, you know, capacitated to see the enchantment of the world and to see how God is in the natural world and all creation. And then, you know, that I could go into another podcast with you, the book I'm working on now on re-enchanting the text. You know, how, what does that do about the Bible? Because the Bible mm-hmm. among liberals and modernist fundamentalists was totally disenchanted. Mm-hmm. So who wants to read that Bible? Nobody. Yeah, and that's right. So, that's right. Um, We've got to re-enchant the world, we've got to then re-enchant our bodies, our lives, and re-enchant scripture, and re-enchant is, the church.
0: Is that what Jesus is maybe alluding to or referring to when he says that to enter the kingdom of heaven we must become like a little child? That we must we must live with that kind of wonder and amusement and, and that kind of… Um, attitude towards creation that everything around us is 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 our father's creation everything around us is you know we're trusting in him and abiding in him because we see this wonderful world that he's made like that kind of look that a a child has in their eyes whenever they see a you know a cardinal flying by for the first time you know that that Mm -hmm. kind of wonder and amusement to see the world with that spirit those spirit filled eyes you could say
1: yeah that trust faith of a child, wonder of a child is a good thing there, isn't it? Like you were saying, and wonder is one of those things that we have little of. We desire to have wonder, though. And some of the best books, series like Harry Potter and other series just draw people in so that, you know, Tolkien is gifted in wonder, and So there's this power of of God to take us outside of being the subject and in control of a natural world to move us into a wild and wonderful world. I'm finishing up a chapter, Job Job and the Transformation of Benevolent Patriarchy like benevolent patriarchs, kind of, you know, the Tim Keller and the Russell Moores, and they're good guys. Uh, they love God. They have, I think, almost a precocious conscience, just like Job did. So how do you help them to see that they are wrong about the issue of women? You, I don't think you can argue with them given their hermeneutic of scripture or how they read the scripture. But I look at Job and I see how his three friends try to bring him down so to speak and that didn't work. And then there's you've got this Elihu guy who comes in the younger guy um who's sort of like the prelude to God, the warm-up act. And then you got God coming in. So what does God do? God doesn't God decenters Job by taking him on a cosmic journey, and it's wild, and so William Brown, the Old Testament scholar, says Job was bewildered before he was restored, uh, so he, by bewildered, means he was decentered, he was given uh, the gift of wonder, and at the end of Job, you have this life going kind of back, but it's not the same. And if you look at the daughters there, two things that women were denied in patriarchy was um, that we don't get their names unless they're somehow associated as the daughter of, and then secondly, that they don't have a direct inheritance. Those two things are given to the daughters of Job and the restored. Well, what created that in Job? I think it was wonder, and he was decentered. centered um, He he was so, so good, like chapter 29, I call it the glory of patriarchy, you know, and he got so beside himself talking about how good he was, you know, he said, you know, my glory was fresh upon me, and I go, whoa, that's a little dangerous, <laughs> uh, but how, to have wonder is to be de-centered, you know, to be taken, um, taken apart, not to be condemned, not to be shamed, and I think going back to uh, Job, there was an article years ago about Job having a Pentecostal experience, and I think that's that's what what it is, is that Pentecost decenters us. Um, being slain in the Spirit is not being taken down and shamed as much as being slain with amazement and wonder. And so we're decentered, radically decentered, but we're not um, like we were talking about the fundamentalist Baptist preacher clips. It's not that kind of, you know, that. the guy up in the suit pointing a finger down. It's um, being taken on this cosmic journey and knowing that um, everything is connected and that um, As God said to Job, you know, consider the behemoth, this beast, who I made just like I made you. Like, are you that special? (laughs) I love it. Yeah, I just love being slain like that. And that's a good way.
2: Absolutely. Let me say first that you made Walker's Day because you mentioned Harry Potter.
0: Okay, So,
2: so Well, you know,
0: twice this season, uh, people just like yourself that are... Uh, spirit filled and educated uh-huh. have mentioned Harry yeah. Potter and Jonathan and his fundamentalist roots always makes fun of me because I enjoy it.
2: I've been oh, yeah. I've been I've been pleading the blood of Jesus ever since you mentioned that name.
1: I bet you have. <laughs> well we had a church split over Harry Potter. Oh, a, a small church split. We had uh, when we were pastoring, you know, the the ha- small groups, and there were the anti-Harry Potter small groups, and the Harry Potter small groups, and everybody was wanting my husband to preach the Harry Potter sermon, right? Right. So, one Sunday, he got up and preached the Harry Potter sermon, and he went, he you know, he studied patristics, so he went back to the ancient church, how they struggled with the Greek uh, myths and classics, and they said, and, and they never came to a definitive thing. They just let it, let it be. And that's what I'm going to do. But I am going to preach on dis, uh, dis, dissent in the body and condemning one another. And, you know, so he, everybody got kind of judged that day, both the Harry Potter who judged the non-Harry Potter. and the, And, you know, I've never read Harry Potter. My daughters have read Harry Potter. It's like I'm such a big Tolkien fan that i just don't want to bother <laughs>
0: <laughs> well i i love it i love it but you know <laughs> i grew up obviously you know around the time whenever those were popular yeah. and so obviously it's
2: and it's, heathen it's he grew something up heathen yeah i grew up pagan pagan <laughs> heathen hey Hagan. so so can we tie something together that you said because you you went on a riff a little bit ago that was amazing and uh you you mentioned um uh right. keller and more and and how, of course, there's a certain way to read the Bible uh, to to be very patriarchal, and but the the New Testament teaches us that the letter kills, mm-hmm. but the spirit gives life. Mm-hmm. Would it would it be fair to say that the letter kills, but the spirit gives wonder? That there's something okay. about the spirit that opens our eyes to see.
1: Mm-hmm. It does, and that is back to hermeneutics and scripture, to read the Bible with wonder, like my readings of Job, it's like I am on that journey of wonder, and I'm not reading Job necessarily to find this point and that point, which I am connecting, but more, moreover, I'm reading, um, I, I'm just reading in, okay, read, reading in the presence of, of God, in the spirit of God, means that you are, I see scripture as a, a portal, a thin space. So I can find wonder, and I do, in, in, in the natural world. But I can also find wonder in reading and being in the world of the text. I see the text as a, a world.
0: So in other words, to, to look at the Bible with spirit-filled eyes is to also look at it sacramentally to see how God is, is working through this vessel of the text and, and how the Spirit is leading us and guiding us in that to show us the truth.
1: Yeah, and oh, uh, Hans Borsman, the Reformed scholar, wrote uh, a book a couple of years ago scripture and sacrament, he's neoplatonic, and so his understanding of the presence of God and sacramental presence of God um, is much more of an indirect, hidden kind of thing. I'm more direct, you know, that it's sacramental in the sense that it is an encounter, direct encounter.
0: Hmm. Amen. Very good. Yeah, I love that. I love that. I just got done reading um, Dr. Chris Green's book, A Pentecostal Theology of the Lord's Supper. And so mm-hmm. all of that is, is is really fresh in my mind, the way that in which we approach the table, and we know that, that Christ is there via the Spirit, enlightening, illuminating, and, and bringing the presence of God and encounter. I, I really enjoyed the historical aspect of, of that work in which he talks about how You know, Pentecostals would come to partake of the Lord's Supper, and some would receive healing, some would receive spirit baptism, some would be uh, slain in the Spirit, you know, the encounters that we can receive with God in that, you know. God's presence is all around, moving and active, and, and even the things in which we least expect it, you know.
1: Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And Chris talks about the International Pentecostal Holiness Church where I grew up, I grew up in that tradition, and he brought to mind when I was reading that book the way in which we did communion when I was a child, which in the book of discipline of the IPHC, the elders would come forward, the pastor, they, everybody to the, to the table, and there were these prayers over it, and people would kneel around the table so that the altar where you kneeled and prayed and the table became one seamless garment space. And again, like you were saying, Walker, things happened. Mm. That changed in that church tradition in the eighties, I think, you know? And so everybody now just kind of sits in the pews and it's handed out to them. And there's no understanding that this is a, a place of, encountering God it's disenchanted communion we could call it
2: (laughs) yeah that's right that's right um so my question uh for you and, and 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 just with with some of our listeners maybe in mind a lot of people are taught that the Holy Spirit is the one that draws you to Christ uh and so once you once you say yes to Jesus you have the Holy Spirit and you talked about being baptized in the Holy Spirit earlier, and I agree, I agree with that concept, and I agree that we need to be baptized in the Spirit, but what would you say to someone struggling with that concept that has been told by their pastor that they got all the Holy Spirit they needed at conversion, and there's nothing more to, to seek as far as that goes?
1: Well, I don't think we ever get all we need of, of God's life by the Spirit. You know, the Spirit brings us the life of God or takes us into the life of God So, for me, baptism of the Spirit is sort of this drenching into the eschaton and the life of God. And I believe grace is like a river, and when we're converted, repenting, we're in the river, but there are depths of that river that we have not yet. There you go. And so... Again, to be filled is to be refilled and to be refilled and deeper and deeper into the mystery and the depths of God. Beautiful. Because sometimes Pentecostals will do this. I was baptized in the Spirit and they go, check it off. <laughs> That's like the uh, Orta Salutis. It's not ordo Salutis. It's, you know, the way, it's the river, it's the flow. Um, so, you know, I would want to say just step into the flow of God. <laughs> And see where that carries you.
2: Mm, beautiful. My, my great-grandpa has a story. I won't bore everybody with it. But he had just been converted. He was not a church person. And he had literally never heard of the Holy Spirit. But mm-hmm. he had a desire for more of God. And mm-hmm. he woke up in the middle of the night about a week after his conver- conversion speaking in tongues. Oh, wow. And God yeah. baptized him not because he was seeking a gift, mm-hmm. but that he was truly seeking the giver of the gift.
1: Yeah. You know, as you said it, more of God, yeah. And the Holy Spirit is God, and brings us into the life of God. The Holy Spirit is sort of the way to God, and, and going back to the Johannine imagery tied to the Acts.
0: Mm. Amen. Gosh, there's so many so many things I want to ask you, uh, Doctor Johns. But one last question I have for you about Pentecost and Pentecostalism. Um, is going back to Azusa Street and, and the revival that really started Pentecostalism in, in North America, um, historically speaking. You know, we we live in a world where just last week, Ahmaud Arbery was uh, murdered in the middle of the, of the street, and, and there are, you know, racial tensions that, that exist in the United States still. There is a wealth gap between the poor and the rich, um, you know, very, you know, extreme, very, very large in the world that we live in today. There's many, many social problems. But what we see on the day of Pentecost and what we see at Asusa Street is a bringing together a, a, a kind of unity that the Holy Spirit brings on the day of Pentecost. So my question for you um, is how important is it for us as as Christians, as people of the Spirit, to reconnect with that Spirit? You know, not just the kind of Spirit that gives us the Holy Holy Ghost goosebumps in church, but, but mm-hmm. what really brings unity how important is that for the body of christ
1: i think it's critical and if we say that the holy spirit and brings us into the end you know takes us into the eschaton and creation is flourishing humankind to flourish so that what they caught a glimpse of at azusa street was the end and they began to live the end in the time of the present. And I, I sometimes say that I use the words of David Tracy, Catholic, theologian. It was the sheer excess of gift. Sometimes the end is so dissimilar to where we are living right now that it is a huge scandal. But it is a precious gift. It's a sheer ex. I think it was just sheer excess, like or you really want to know what the kingdom's like, here it is. And all of a sudden, everything's turned upside down. I believe that community in Los Angeles stewarded it as best they could. You know, you had Charles Parham wanting to come out and co-opt it for racism. And, and, but they, they did, I think, hold it pretty well. But then you just, it, it's like, how do you steward the end in the present? A little bit at a time, you make compromises. Well, it's hard for us to have these interracial meetings, so let's just not do that now. Or it's just an embarrassment to many people because our women are so loud and preach. So we're going to tone that down. Or well, the poor—they uh, really need to be among their own. And so after a while, you know, decades go, and you have just taken and given away the most precious parts of the gift, leaving behind some kind of so-called Pentecost that is comfortable for the uh, people in power. So do we need another sheer excess of gift? Yeah, I think we do. Can we steward it? I would hope we can. And so a lot of people today I hear in my circles, they're believing this revival is coming. I don't see what they see because Mm. theirs is a triumphal uh, we're all going to take it over you know and uh, it's very political but I would love to see and maybe what we were talking about earlier just just a lot of disenfranchised homeless spiritually homeless people maybe longing for something like that again and to model uh, for the world. a a real sense of neither black or white, male or female, slave or free. So, but that, that's so, even today, that's so scandalous, isn't it? But we're called to it.
2: So the big deception of Satan wasn't HBO, but it was division among believers that we don't see the other as our brother.
1: And it's not like oh i hate I hate people of color. it's just well they, they will be more comfortable, don't you think, among mm-hmm. their own kind? you know mm-hmm. that's how it was always presented yeah. and twenties, yeah. 1930s, 1940s, 1950s th- they'd just be more comfortable, and well, who's more comfortable? The white <laughs> people will be more comfortable, but you know that among their own kind is not Pentecostal.
2: Right. Good, good words.
0: One last question that we ask every guest. What does prayerfully woke mean to you?
1: That's a good phrase. Um, and then maybe faithfully woke or prayerfully woke is to be awakened by the Spirit, like we were just talking about. To see as Christ sees the world, as God sees the world. Because, you know, when I did my dissertation years ago on Marxist educator Paulo Freire, my critique was for him to, to be awakened to, and he used the term conscientization, to one's role as a subject in the world and oppression, To to name it. He used a real materialistic Marxist dialectic. What happens is, You're woke, but you don't know how you're not woke. Mm. And so the praxis of liberation becomes the the oppressed take power, and then they become oppressors. And then it just becomes tyranny after tyranny and coup after coup. And I'm woke, but I'm, you're, and, and I've seen people who are woke become fundamentalist woke. And so I love how you put prayerfully woke because I have my horrible blind sides that unless the Spirit of God reveals them to me, I can go along as very, they're, they're just my pet things. So many people who are woke are not really woke. They're, they're conscious of things. But to be awakened by the Spirit is to love as God loves, to see the world as Christ sees it, to be that flow, you know. So maybe that's a long explanation. Too no,
2: long. that, a- love as with everything else that you've said uh, this afternoon, it's been great. Um, can you tell our listeners where they can find you on the World Wide Web, maybe connect you with you on social media or some books that they can buy on Amazon?
0: Yeah, yeah.
1: yeah. Um, my website is cherylbjohns.com, and uh, there you'll find some links to my books. And the latest book I've, I've written—it's um, not—it's it's seven transforming gifts of menopause. It's my gift to women, uh, women of a certain age, women at midlife, how to become empowered and spiritually free in the world. Um, so that is available on Amazon and my, my book on Pentecostal Formation as well is
0: there. Amazing. Amazing. Well, thank you so much, doctor, for your time. It's been an absolute honor and a gift.
1: I've enjoyed it so much, guys.
0: Thank you so much, guys. Thank you so much for listening to the podcast. We appreciate you for tuning in. Um, If you like this episode, share it, subscribe it, Uh, give us a rate and like on iTunes. It goes a long way to help us out. Thank you so much. Peace. Peace.